Hi, I'm Melissa Goncalves from Fem Radio, and you're listening to Toys and Tech of the Trade. What's going on, folks? Thanks for hitting that download button and checking out a brand new episode of Toys and Tech of the Trade, your one-stop shop for toys, tech, and talk with some assembly required. I'm your host, Rich, and if this is your first time checking out an episode, first of all, welcome. Second, a bit about what we do here. Toys and Tech of the Trade is an interview series where we sit down with content creators, entrepreneurs, and just awesome folks that are on our radar and discuss the gadgets, the gear, and the tech that they use to run their business create their content, and overall, be more productive. Now, when it comes to toys, we don't relegate it to the usual talk of action figures, Funko Pops, things of that nature. You'd be surprised what people consider toys, whether it's collecting appliances or collecting ATVs or cars. Everyone's definition of toys is a bit different, and we really, really, really embrace that here with much enthusiasm. And it helps us break up a lot of the business talk that we have on this podcast. So with that intro out of the way, a little bit of housekeeping, and we'll turn things over to this week's guest. So as many of you know, um, our last episode was back in December, and it was our holiday gift guide. I really wanted to put out one more episode to close out 2020, but... 2020 has been a, uh, sometimes I feel like we're still in 2020 to some extent. And the holiday season was just uh, difficult for a bunch of reasons. Most of them uh, too much to dig into for this episode. And I really don't want to take away from this week's guest, but nonetheless, uh, we are in 2021. We're ready to kick ass in the new year. Uh, We're going to be wrapping up this season. Uh, You know, we do 22 episodes a season. Uh, Episode 44 will be uh, our season two finale. And then we're going to get into season three of the podcast. And we have so many spectacular guests on deck from many different fields, many different industries, just coming in, sharing their stories, uh, hopefully giving you folks tools, inspiration, and just the fire to go out there and pull the trigger on that business idea or that or that plan or that project that's kind of just been rattling around in your brain. I really hope that that's something that our guests and even myself to a point can bring out of you, the listener. And with everything going on now, you know, the uncertainties, whether it's mental uncertainty, fiscal uncertainty, we all we all need something to hold on to. And if you have that passion project, that dream, whatever it is, Just like I said, rattling around in your head, uh, I hope that these stories and these tactics and tools can help you get that project off the ground, whether it's that website, that clothing brand, that podcast. uh, I hope that these stories can help you, you know, take it to the next level and just unleash your strongest self, whether it's personally or professionally. Um Besides that, I did want to acknowledge uh, the fine folks that Call Me When It's Over, Josie's boy, uh, Alexis A. McCoy, who wrapped up Call Me When It's Over earlier this month. Um, Definitely bummed 
to see them wrap up the show, but they are really doubling down on their endeavors. Josie's Boy with the Painted in Blue brand, which, uh, you know, Josie's Boy is incredibly talented and he's really going to make his mark uh, on this world. And I don't even say that just because we work together, but just because the the drive and the passion that he exhibits is just uh, off the charts. And Alexis came on board, uh, joined him as a second mic, and I really came to admire and respect her hustle. Uh, her company, Love is Enough Productions, is just out there, just tirelessly putting events together, uh, doing things to just better folks around them. And I think that that's just a very, very noble endeavor. In Alexis's case, she's actually done a bunch of virtual events to uh, keep her brand out there and in front of the uh, in front of everyone's eyes, which is great. So definitely make sure to check out Painted in Blue. Love is enough productions. We're going to include links for that in the show notes for this episode. As for this week's guest, she introduced herself in the ID for this week's episode, but we're going to turn it over to her and let her share her story as well as the toys and tech of her trade. Let's go. My guest for this week's episode of Toys and Tech of the Trade is owner, founder, entrepreneur, and podcaster, Melissa Goncalves, who does, she does the Femme Radio podcast. She also does the Femtrepreneur brand, um, fashion line. She is super versatile, and she not only does all of this, but she juggles it with her personal life, sharing a lot of her stories, and putting women first and making sure that their stories are heard because it's not just the usual work careers and things of that nature, but also family health and many of the other things that women have to deal with on a regular basis that sometimes just people gloss over because they want to share the pretty side of the, the pretty side of being a lady. So Melissa is going to take us through her journey and the toys and tech of her trade. What's going on, Melissa? How are you? Hi, thank you so much for having me. That was a, a great intro. I'm over here doing a silent cheer. Like, yes, I did that. I'm doing that. <laughs> you know, it's it's interesting because over the last few years, uh, making sure that women have a voice, which is insane, has become a, a driving focus for so many for so many brands. But I feel that they're doing it for the sake of clout. And what you're doing is a little different because you're using your personal stories, but also bringing in a variety of entrepreneurs to bring their stories to light and humanizing a lot of what they got going on, not only their their triumphs, but a lot of their struggles. So I want to kind of start there and get into the origin story of how you got started as a entrepreneur and a podcaster and also how you brought the brand to life. Absolutely. It's, it's, I'm sure it, you know, when listeners hear this, it's probably not, um, incredibly unique, right? The Femtrepreneur brand was built out of my struggles with my current, like my, at the time, my current day job, um, just in feeling like there wasn't a lot of female representation. And if it was, it wasn't the right kind of representation, the right people that you could see as your mentors, um, and I would have all these side conversations with my really good friend, Arielle Cassidy, who actually 
is a founder and entrepreneur. She owns the Juice House in New Jersey. And we would have these conversations over these barbecues in the summer about how difficult it was for her to start her business being a female entrepreneur um, and how sometimes she felt like she wasn't getting the respect that she deserved. So the two of us in the beginning were like, you know what? Let's just start highlighting these things. Let's start an Instagram page. And we didn't really know what the hell we were doing at the time. So we're like, all right, Instagram, let's just get to social media. And then if we build a following, we'll figure out what we want to do from there. <laughs> so we started posting certain things on social media. Um, we got a little bit of a following, nothing too crazy, um, but just sharing unique stories, quotes, things that we found through Google, stuff like that. Um, but I always had a passion for starting a podcast because I had... Um, my senior year of high school, I co-hosted a radio show with a really good friend of mine. Um, we were one of the only high schools, I think, in New York State that had a, a real radio station um, that broadcasted pretty far. Uh, and they had a full radio, the full room with the microphones. And you got to learn all the technology. And I was so intrigued by it. Um you know, after some time, it sort of fell off because I thought, you know, I don't want people to judge me. Um, you know, I feel as if maybe if I do this, people will think I'm weird or they'll be like, oh, who does she think she is? Like thinking she could talk for hours and hours, but like, who does she think she is? So the feelings of doing that and starting a podcast, starting a radio show that sort of, you know, was pushed to the back. Um, but then after we started Femtrepreneur and the Instagram account, I was like, you know what, this is a great way to really share the stories of female founders and female trailblazers, because then they can talk about it and people can hear them. And, you know, if we incorporated video, then they could see them. So I did have all these sort of thoughts of, of diving into podcasting. Um, and then once I did that, it sort of took off. Um, and my friend Arielle at the time was basically her, her role was really just in finding those founders because she was so well connected in New Jersey through her store, through her juice house. So a lot of the first initial people we interviewed were because of her connections. Um, and that after some time, her juice house blew up. Like now she has, I believe three of them she's franchising. So her and I made a mutual decision that, you know, I would take off with Femme Radio and then she would focus on her business, which was the best decision because she's she truly is the full like embodiment of the brand. Uh, so she can always come back if she wants to, I tell her every day, <laughs> but yeah. So then the podcast took off and, um, I was actually battling some, this was probably what a 20, 2018. So like early 2018, we launched the podcast in January, um, interviewed a few really great people. Uh, but then I was going through some really rough situations at work. So in my nine to five, um, and it gave me sort of the worst case of imposter syndrome, because at the time when I launched the podcast, I was a director of a department. I managed six different people. I managed an entire you know, book of business for a whole business. The entire company's clients were in my hands and I was what, 26 years old, 25, 26 years old. So I felt like I was at the top, right? The pinnacle of my career. I, I could only go up from there in my mind. Um, and that didn't happen. I, you know, I started to get into really rough conversations with my employer. I was looking for raises for my employees. They didn't think they deserved them. It felt like every initiative I tried to push um, wasn't, wasn't actually being listened to, wasn't being considered. Um, and so I started to look towards podcasts for a way in which to 
figure out how to deal with those situations. You know, maybe someone has some advice for me. So I would listen to shows like the, you know, girl boss radio at the time. And it was great. Right. But the people that they were interviewing were CEOs, VPs, people who are worth million dollars, you know, and that's just not, (laughs) it's not me. It wasn't me in my situation and I couldn't relate. So it was at that time where I sort of made a, a motion to say to myself, I'm not going to interview those people before I interview the people who are really at the grassroots, really at the bottom, um, really working their way to the top. So I'm sort of going in circles here, but yeah, at that time, about like March of 2018, um, I ended up having sort of what we refer to now as a a mutual parting of ways with my employer. Um, so I was unemployed. Um, I was unemployed for two months and during those two months, nothing was happening with femme radio because I had the worst imposter syndrome. I felt like, you know, who am I to start telling stories and sharing stories of these entrepreneurs and these business owners when I don't even have a job myself? You know, I just felt like I was not the right person to share those stories. Um, And because of that, I didn't share my own either because I was embarrassed. I was this person who was so proud of my job, so proud of where I was in my career. Um, I'd get compliments all the time. People were always so proud of me. My parents were so proud of me. I didn't even tell my parents that I lost my job. You know, I was, I was really struggling. Um, and finally I ended up getting another job. Right. And then I sort of was, you know, one day on the train home from the city And I was like, how did I just let something that I was so passionate about die because of my fears? Um, And yeah, I mean, we've had, oh, I'm sure we'll get into it, but we've had lots of highs and lows and and we, I mean me, but (laughs) I've had lots of highs and lows with Femme Radio. But I, you know, I always look back to that time where we had interviewed, I had interviewed maybe like four guests and then all of a sudden it just died. No episodes for almost like four months. Well, here's here's a few things I want to take from that, and I kind of want to deconstruct it a bit for the listeners. And the thing about it is that a lot of a lot of what you said is a lot of what people deal with all the time. You kind of just reach a a tipping point where your personal and what I like to say your personal and your podcast life collide, because right. when you turn on the microphone, you're kind of you're unleashing your strongest self. You're you're you know this host this this media outlet, all these other things to your point, you know, it's interesting. You used imposter syndrome. I think that what happens is that we, we draw inspiration from so much of the content that we consume that we end up trying to create kind of like a mixture of all of these personalities and all these different, uh, media outlets that whose content we consume as part of who we are. And I think that the problem at that point is that you kind of get lost in the shuffle because you're too busy being the somebody that everybody wants you to be and said, instead of the somebody that you want to be. Right. And to, to your point, like, you know, as, as before we started recording, just having, having to go through a lot of those highs professionally and then kind of just n- not hitting rock bottom. Cause it can always be worse, you know? Right. But, <laughs> but I think that, that getting to that point, you kind of, I think, had to search inside yourself and re and ask yourself if, you know, the juice was worth the squeeze. And right. you, you did that because obviously we're, we're having this conversation and you're still rocking and rolling with the podcast, but I can see <laughs> where you, where you kind of get burned out because a lot of people go through it. And the thing about it is, especially 
in the podcasting space, it's very easy for people to say, hey, just turn on a mic and go. Yeah, that's great. But I always tell people, it's like, listen, talk to me when you pass the 10 episode mark. That's when I know you're, you're, you're in it for the long haul because 10 will become 20, 20 will become 30, uh, 30 have become 50 as in your case. And, um, (laughs) you know, I think that that's a, that's a big driving force. And, you know, something you mentioned, um, in your bio was a a quote, which I want to share with the audience that you said, I didn't have many female mentors at my company. And at the time it was quite discouraging to not see yourself in any of the executive team members. And that right there is something that countless people, men and women, are dealing with even even now because people, they they go and they try to find, you know, guys like Gary Vee or, um, you know, different personalities. Mm-hmm. And they're like, that's who I am. And it's like, no, that's that's not who you are. It's it's right. like a lot of people you you've probably seen this. A lot of people want to say, I want to be the next Steve Jobs. and right. The funny thing about Steve Jobs is, yeah, he was an innovator. He was a creator, but he was an asshole, <laughs> you know, like, like, that, <laughs> like, 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 I love Steve Jobs, you know, I mean, he, 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 he was a, he was a driving force in, in changing so many aspects of technology. But when you right. dig into who he was as a person, he was an, he was a controlling maniac, you know, great, an amazing human being, but still an asshole, you know? And right. I think that that's, that's one of the toughest parts that, a lot of people, a lot of creators bump into that they're so busy trying to be everybody else that they kind of get in their own way. No, you're right about that. And it's so, and that's a really good point that you just brought up the part of my bio, because that was the biggest thing that I struggled with was obviously I, you know, I was growing the Femtrepreneur brand and at my day job at the time, you know, there was probably one female VP and I was so excited you know, growing in that career because I wanted, I aspired to be just like her, you know, she was that lone soldier and I couldn't wait to get, you know, to her level so I could join her and all her success. And she'd been there for so long. Um, and then when I finally started working with her, I was like, wow, you really don't care about anyone, you know, but yourself. And that was really hard for me because I, to me, success is not me climbing up the top, you know, to the top of the ladder. It's, the people you bring with you, the people you see succeed with you. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I was a director, I had five women working for me. And to this day, I'm still super close with every single one of them. And I love when they find success. And I love when they're climbing the ladder. I love when they're getting promoted. I love when they're enjoying what they're doing. And if they're not, I'm helping them fix their resumes. I'm helping them find jobs that work for them. I'm going on calls to you know, make reference calls for them because that's, that's, what's meaningful to me. So it was very heartbreaking to see that, you know, you could be so jaded throughout your career. Uh, and then you, you might change. Like, I don't believe that she was always like that. I believe that she came in just like I did very naive about what the workspace (laughs) was. Um, and then she changed, you know, she became that person. Um, and she wanted, it was very much one of those situations where I had to do it this way. So you should have to do it this way. Um, and, and that's just not how I believe because we have to leave the world a better place than how we found it. And that's just, you know, her, her methodology was not in, in sync with, with mine. Well, I think it, it was one of those, the, the time, the, the, the time honored phrase of, um, never meet your heroes. Uh, right, because, precisely. <laughs> because, because you know what it is, your heroes, you hold them to a higher standard. 
Right. And the thing about it is that, yeah, you hold them to that higher standard, but are they holding themselves to that higher standard? And based on what you're saying, this, this individual was not because she right. realized, and you, you, you might agree with this, like you're, you're in a, in a, in an industry or in a company that's dominated by men and right. you're, you know, the, 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 the cliche is you're the sum of the five people you spend your most time with. So if you spend your mm-hmm. most time with, you know, sharks, what are you going to become? Right. So, and that's, yeah, yeah, you're right. You're hundred percent right. So, you know, based on, based on what you're describing, that's, I, I kind of feel that that's the direction it went, but to, to add to what you're doing, the thing about it is that nobody should have to forcefully become that in order to thrive in the workplace. Like what I'm saying is that for, the fact that we're still having conversations about equal pay between men and women or equal opportunities between men and women. I think that there's, there's a, a very weird fascination with wanting to put labels on that stuff. Like, Oh, she's the first female referee. How about she's just a referee that happens to be a woman, (laughs) you know, like, like I think that there's so much, there's so much forced, um, necessity to make it oh we got to make it about labels like why can't why can't you just be you know the, the a ref or a head coach or um you know we'll use something that's that's per, that's perfectly relevant to current events you know vice president why can't right. you just be vice president right oh, I the t- first female I totally vice president. let's all cheer okay great but <laughs> at the end of the day it's can you do, do you have the skills and can you do your damn job? Right. And sometimes I think that that's the sort of issue when people are, when people say things and when the media sort of comes out with like the first female ever to do this, mm-hmm. I feel like it completely takes away from the fact that they have a laundry list of credentials that, uh-huh. you know, that make them fully capable and even more so capable to do that job. Um, and I'll, I'll never forget. It was, um, Oh God, what was, Erica Nardini, when she was getting hired at Barstool, um, I've, I've followed her career for a while because she's someone that I, I eventually would like to interview because I do think the inner workings there are quite interesting. Um, but when she was first hired at Barstool, that's all anyone ever paid attention to, right? Meanwhile, they hired her because she was truly the best fit for the job. And she had a CVS receipt of credentials that, you know, said that she was fully capable to do this job. She was the perfect culture fit. And she was ready to take on the role, you know, and all anybody ever cared about was, oh, like they're making a, you know, gender hire because they're trying to look better. Mm-hmm. And, you know, she, like and that to me is just so degrading to her career and who she is as an individual. Um, but I actually interviewed someone on Femme Radio, uh, Marissa Beth Orr. She wrote the book Lean Out. So it was kind of like the rebuttal to Sheryl Sandberg's Lean In. Um And I really loved it because it's more in line with my version of what I want the world to be, where it's, you know, I feel like on one end, there's all these women that are like, you have to, you know, aspire to be a CEO, aspire to be this, aspire to be that you can do it all. You could be mom and, you know, climb the ranks and be this trailblazer. But what if you just want to be mom? You know, you're allowed to just be mom. And you shouldn't have to feel bad that you want to just be a mom because just being a mom is pretty fucking incredible. I don't know yep. if I could curse, no, but can... pretty incredible. So I, I hate that it's, it sort of seems as like, Oh, like 
you know, you're, you're, oh, you're just a stay at home mom. Like, no, you are a mom. That is your job. That is your role. And you should hold that proudly. But there's such a stigma in society where, you know, if you're not doing work and personal and all these other things, if you don't have all these side hustles, then you're not succeeding. And no, that is not the case at all. It's true. I mean, I think that's one of the biggest, the biggest misconceptions. And again, the fact that, you know, here we are in, in 2021 now, like having to, to, to justify, you know, the, the norms that should be the, you know, clearly the, the definition is the norms, the normal should be right. something that nobody should be making such a big deal about. Like it shouldn't be, uh, the first female, this, or the first Latino, this, or the first African, like there's no necessity for that. At the end of the day, right. can you do the job? Do you have the tools and can you do the best version of the job expected by those around you? That's it. Absolutely. It does scare me sometimes when I see those headlines because it's, it is a a rude awakening that, wow, we're, you know, in 2021 now, and there's still a first Mm -hmm. for something. Um, so, so that is, you know, I do like to, I like to know those things because it really helps to also shed a light on the fact that we're not as progressive as we think we are as a society, Uh Yes, but it's, it certainly does, in my opinion, it certainly does take away from the fact that they do have the you know, the records that show they could absolutely do the job that they're doing. And by just calling them the first this and the first that, um, people don't typically click into the article and read why they're the first, you know, why would they were able to break those glass ceilings or, you know, shatter that, um, you know, that particular race wall at that company, which there are so many of. Yep. It's a, it's a, it's a scary, it's a scary concept that so much of that, so much of the labels are a necessity for validation. Like, like, okay, you're applying for a job and Hey, you got to put what race or ethnicity are you? And I'm, and and it's funny because you were talking about not working. Like I got laid off and I'm back in the, in in the pool after 20 years. And I'm saying to myself, why do you care what color I am? Like, like, like just legit, like I'm filling it out or, or doing the, the application. Like why, why, why does it matter? Is there a right. checklist? Hey, we need three browns, two greens, and a purple. <laughs> <laughs> like, like it's just it's just a very weird thing. And like like you said, the the fact that in 2021 there's still so many firsts that we were embracing now, it's it's it bogs me, it, it boggles my mind. Right. And to consider the fact that they also, I mean, on those applications, they include that section because it's supposed to help them make better diverse choices. And clearly it hasn't been working. And, and that's, that's what bothers me is you have a way to make more of an effort as a business to be more diverse and you're still not doing it. So that, that has always bothered me because every single job you apply to has that questionnaire. Right. Um, but still you walk into those offices and they're predominantly white or they're, you know, predominantly male or et cetera, et cetera. Um, and it, it's funny because you had every, you had every, uh, every level of assistance to make, you know, diverse choices, but I would hope that you at least interviewed, you know, a number of different people to at least like get some diversity of thought. Um, you know, but that's, that's a work in progress. I would say is, (laughs) I, I, I do have one thing to, to add to that. And then we can, we can go into some other stuff. Do you feel, oh, especially being 
involved in client services, working in a, in a, in a male, in a male dominated industry, plus just being now a creator and an entrepreneur. Do you sometimes find that people kind of want to pass on the other side of the spectrum? Meaning like you're not, you're an entrepreneur, you're, you're driving a lot of messages towards, uh, women. And do you sometimes feel that when you're talking to certain women that they come at you, like I said, looking for some validation or something that they shouldn't be doing just based on the fact that, oh, you're a woman, you understand. Do you run into that? Hmm. Let's see. You know what I'm saying? Like, like, I'll give you an example. Like, if, if you're, if you're from another country and you go into a place that has people from your country employed there, and they talk to you in, in your native language mm-hmm. and they kind of feel more comfortable because you're one of them. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, that's interesting. So I think in the beginning, I think I've gotten in the last three years, sort of more progressive. I was very much like in the middle as far as feminist feminism goes, because mm. I, I kind of feel as though the blanket term of feminism has really only benefited um, a particular type of woman, um, in, in, you know, past years. Uh, so I don't think it encompasses, you know, women of color and in different cultures and ethnicities. So I, I have had a lot of situations where many women will come up to me and talk to me about certain situations and things that have happened to them. And I, I always listen. I always, always listen, but I, I can say that I've had situations that have been very, very inappropriate at my, you know, previous places of employment. I've had situations where I probably could have made out like a bandit had I pursued, but, but I didn't because at the end of the day, my, you know, my mental was just like, get, get out of here, self-preservation and, and, and figure yourself out. Um, but there are a lot of situations where women will talk to me about things and, and it's hard to distinguish what some people are trying to get out of certain situations. Um, and I guess that's like, it's hard for me to always empathize because my growing up, I was always taught to just like, listen, internalize, Mm -hmm. you know, then figure out what you want to do. But there are people whose like immediate reaction is to, you know, react. Right. And, and, and that's, a little difficult. It's hard to sort of navigate what I'm trying to say here. <laughs> no, you, you know, well, what? A, I th- let, let me put it this I, way. Do yeah. I, I'll spin it a different way. Do you feel that it, having so many um, female entrepreneurs that you've spoke that you spoke to that sometimes you see that there are people that it's kind of like you become what you're trying to. You become what you hate. You know what I mean? Like yeah. what we were talking about with your with your vice president, where it's like, "Hey, I'm doing this, but you know, I, I'm a I'm I'm a I'm a woman that's trying to succeed, so it's okay." You know what I mean? Like yeah, they're searching like the for that, that the validation. Yeah, um, the the playing the game aspect is really infuriating. It's mm-hmm. it's also incredibly hurtful to the next generation of people who are coming up the ladder. There we because- go. That's what I'm looking for. Now you got it. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 very it's very very frustrating. I but I see it too with men, right? Like I've yep. worked in places where I I vibe so well with certain men, and they're amazing. And then after some time, they change because they start playing the game, the men's game, right? Yep. 
And because there are multiple different personalities at work, if you're a good person, you're a good person, right? Yep. And you are very different than the sharks that you sit at the top or sit within you, right? Um, but you'll see, you'll see people start to shift. And that's just something I think I caught myself many years ago. I was almost a product of this shift. Uh-huh. And I, go. you know, I, I went to sleep one night and I was like, there's no way that they're trying to make me do this tomorrow. They were actually trying to make me terminate someone that I really thought was a great employee. Um, but because you know, this person didn't fit with what they felt that, you know, they should look like in terms of just like, you know, I'm sure you can infer what that means, but a window dressing higher. Right. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Like, Oh, like she doesn't wear, she doesn't wear heels and dresses every day. She wears, you know, leggings and sweaters like, Oh, okay. Like, yeah, I should fire her because she, you know, is wearing a fall attire instead of a spring. Okay. Got that. So I went to bed that night and I was like, I'm not, there's no way I can, I can do this. Like, I don't, I don't agree with this. I don't believe this. But when I left work that day, I was like, okay, yeah, 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 this, whatever. And then on my drive home, I'm like crying. I'm like, there's no way I'm going to do this. This is the worst decision we could ever make. And then I walked into the office that next morning and I went right into management and I was like, yeah, what we talked about yesterday, I, I don't agree with. And I felt so powerful. And it was sort of in that moment that I realized that I'm not cut out for what mm-hmm. they are doing. And I'm just, and it's not that I'm not cut out to be management. I'm just not cut out to be that level of management. And I will never be that level of management. Um, but it is, it is frustrating because I, I've seen times where maybe if I had played the game, my career would be wildly different right now. Um, right. I don't regret any of the decisions to not participate in those things. Um, but it, it's, inc- it's incredibly hurtful. And, um, I actually used to, so I'll share just a small anecdote. So, and hopefully he doesn't get mad at me for sharing, but <laughs> my boy, my boyfriend's black and we actually used to work together. And there was a few different occasions where things were said around him and he wanted so badly to say something, mm. you know, he wanted so badly to speak up and to, and to address the issues that had been taking place. And, and he didn't, right. He was an entry level employee. He didn't want to lose his job. And it was definitely one of those companies that, you know, you upset them, then they're going to probably start to see you in a different light. And then, you know, after some time you'll, you'll suddenly be terminated and they'll be like, Oh, his performance was just lacking. You know, um, they'll make up some, you know, stupid excuse, but there was a number of times where, he sat there and and we would have conversations and he's like, I don't, I don't play the game and I'll never play the game, especially when it comes to things like this. And that was very um, moving to me because it also shifted my structure. Like why should someone have to completely change and alter their morals to fit an antiquated structure? Yep. That's just not, it's not right. Yep. It bring, it brings about what we were, what we were talking about earlier, you know, the, 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 the the Steve Jobs model. Oh, I want to be the what next. Like, nope, can't do that. It's, it's not going to work. You know exactly. that worked. That worked at that time for that person. And the thing about it is that when you're at that level and you're navigating the the corporate world, you bump into that so often, and it be and it really is a conversation with yourself where it's like, do I need this job? Do I want this job? Do I have to put up with this to, to, to endure this job? And that's the problem. I think right. that when you, when you, when you're saying to yourself, I have to endure this job, you've, you've already lost at that point. Absolutely. Because, because if, you, if, if you have to endure anything and it, 
you, you just you just dread waking up in the morning or dread punching in or that commute to work. You're just like, ah. Then then yeah. then why do it? You know. And that would be if if I could give a small key takeaway on certain things, Please especially. Do especially in your early twenties, as you're first stepping into the workforce, I know it's, it's a huge priority to party and go out with your friends and enjoy your weekends, but please, for the love of God, save your money, give yourself an emergency fund, give yourself a cushion so that if you do have these horrible instances at work where you're not, you're being mistreated or you, you know, you start to see that your mental is taking a hit. I mean, I was enduring a year and a half of what I would refer to as workplace abuse. And I couldn't leave because I had been so lackadaisical with my money that I didn't have a cushion. And if I had had a cushion, I would have, I literally would have walked right out of that office and told everybody to go to hell and I would have bounced, but I didn't. And that was a huge fear. I had an apartment to pay for. I didn't, you know, asking my parents for money would have been probably the most, you know, the worst thing in my mind, because it would have meant that I wasn't as successful as I thought I was, but um, save your money, give yourself that cushion so that if you do need to make some sort of a drastic decision, you're doing it with some level of intelligence that you have the ability to sustain yourself. And then you can actively look for jobs. And, you know, if it's a a non COVID job market, you'll be able to find one. Right. Um, but it's, yeah, the market right now is a little hectic, so I don't exactly encourage anyone if you have a stable job to leave, but. <laughs> oh, I speak, I'm speaking from personal experience. It's not pretty out there, but, um, uh, you know, I want to, I wanted to kind of bring that full circle because you, you touched on a lot of things in your bio that I said, you know, I kind of want to dig into that because it, it's funny. We're talking about, you know, the, the, the tools that that are part of your business and the stuff that's part of your business. And I think that your experiences are part of your business. Right. So, you know, I kind of wanted to, to really dig into that. Now I want, I want to talk a little bit about when Femme Radio started. What was that? What was that first day? Like when you recorded your first episode, where were you? What gear did you use? Um, What was the feeling when you hit that stop button after you recorded your first episode? That's a funny story. So I, uh, when I first decided to do the podcast, I actually had DM'd, um, uh, someone I went to college with who had his own podcast just to ask him how he had been doing it. Um, and he pretty much said, Oh, I, I just record into my cell phone. You know, I use, I think he was said he was using anchor and he just records into his cell phone. Um, but I actually was very lucky at the time cause I didn't really have any money to, you know, buy anything exactly. Um, but my dad is very, very into music. He actually plays the accordion and he had his own little, I wouldn't say music studio cause it wasn't like soundproof or anything, but he had a little music area in his office and he had a microphone and, you know, all of the mechanics, all the tech. Um, so I just basically stole like a blue microphone for him from him. And I was like, thanks, <laughs> thanks for, uh, donating to Femtrepreneur and all of our endeavors. Uh, see you later. And I just went running out the door and he was like, what the hell are you doing? Oh, man. <laughs> but so I had, I was basically equipped with a microphone and a laptop. And then I'm pretty sure I also, if I'm not mistaken, I stole, oh my, oh my God, I'm like a klepto. I stole his, um, Beats headphones. He had these all these red Beats headphones, so I took those too. Um, 
And again, I was like, thank you so much for donating to Femtrepreneur. You're a gem. <laughs> and I ran out the door. Um, but yeah, so all I had was the headphones, a microphone, and my laptop. And I was recording on a free program, Audacity. And to this day, when I'm not, I mean, now everything obviously runs through Gotham Podcast Studio. Thank God, you know, bless the broken road that led me to them. Uh, but I, that was pretty much all I was using, which is sort of a, a lot of the, um, I did an episode last year where I was talking just about how you can jump into podcasting and it doesn't have to cost you much. You know, I always say investing in a good microphone is a great idea, but again, you know, this person was recording through their cell phone and I couldn't tell when I was listening to his episodes. If you're in a quiet area, if you can lock yourself off from the rest of the world, your audio will be great. But I always say just invest in a, in a microphone. There's microphones on Amazon for like $30. You know, there's, there's always something you could save up for, um, and get, but audacity was free. I load everything right now through anchor and I didn't pay anything for that either. You know, it's, there's a lot of, um, things that you could do that are very, are super, super cost effective. Um, I have been doing a lot of research recently on, additional, uh, because now that we're sort of remote more and I don't travel into the city as much, um, I want to get a better setup for dual person interviews. So I've been doing some research on things like that, but I haven't quite pulled the trigger. So happy to get your advice on anything you think I should get. Absolutely. Um, you know, it's funny because that the, the way you started is exactly how it went now for, for many people. I mean, I think I started with a Logitech headset mic, and audacity, which I still edit in occasionally. So, um, you know, audacity remains a, a huge cosign for, for myself and for yes. many podcasters. Like, listen, it's free. It does the job and you'll get it. Trust me. <laughs> um, right. one, one thing I wanted to ask with that was, so you, you, you got the equipment, you went home, you hit record, you did that first episode, you hit publish, you uploaded it. What'd you feel after you did that first one? Oh, I was so excited. I felt like this is exactly what I was like, that what I was meant to be doing. You know, um, I, I've always loved talking. I mean, you could have me on here for 12 hours and I would just not, I'd be nonstop talking. My boyfriend really is really enjoys my company. I, I promise. But I, that's, you know, that's my thing is I, I love talking. I love getting people's stories. I love sharing stories. So after we recorded that first episode, because it was a co-episode with my friend Arielle, because she was still a part of the show at that time. And the two of us were in a WeWork space in Manhattan. We had actually just done a day's worth of photo shoots for the brand. So we were taking pictures, some of which are still on my website now um, because, you know, I need to revamp some photos here and there, but we did a full day photo shoot in the city. um, And then we sat down and we're like, let's just bang out, you know, a 30 minute episode, just give people a quick intro into what we're going to do. And I, I, I still have to ask her how she felt afterwards, but for me, I, I was rejuvenated. This is what I'm supposed to be doing. This is what I was meant to do. I can, I can feel that this is going to be big. Like that's how I felt in my mind at the time. Um, you know, I was very naive in thinking that, Oh, if I just launch this live, everyone will listen. Um, because there's still so many people who are only now diving into podcasting, but I was listening to podcasts well before I started podcasting. So I've always been very into talk radio and things like that. How'd your, how'd your parents take it when you said you were going to start doing this? Did they listen to the first episode? What did you, what did they tell you when you told them you went on down this endeavor? And I'm asking, cause 
I know, you know, and I, and I've seen that you have a very close relationship with them. So yes. I did, I did want to ask that because sometimes the, the, the people closest to us can either be our best friends or our worst critics. <laughs> right. Right. So that's a great question. Um, so my parents are, and I don't know if you, I don't know if you know this, but my parents are immigrants from Portugal. So they came here when they were 24, 21. My mom was 24. My dad was about 21. Um, so they've sort of been very, I think for the last, I'd say for the last 40 years, very heads down tunnel vision work. Mm -hmm. Um, their extent of technology is (laughs) very, very low. Um, we, they're actually, um, moving into a new home that my dad's been building. My dad does construction and my brother was teaching them over the last couple of weeks, how to open the garage door through their cell phones. And they're just so amazed (laughs) by, by how technology is going and moving. But when I, you know, I, obviously they know that I have the podcast. They know that I interview all these people. They know that I work on it almost 24 seven because, you know, she'll call me every night and I'll be like, Oh, I'm doing some work. And she'll be like, work, work, or, or podcast work. <laughs> there you go. And I'll be like, podcast work. So they know that I have it, but I don't even know that they've actually listened to a full episode of the show, but my mom will crack me up sometimes because she'll ask how many views, how many views? <laughs> and I'm like, well, it's listeners, but I get it. <laughs> nice. You know, it's interesting too, because it, like, it, like, I, and I'll, I'll throw a, a personal anecdote in there. It's like in my house, in my house, you know, like, my grandmother will come upstairs to see my daughter and she'll come into my home office and she'll be like, what are those lights for? What is that thing on your desk? The mixer, <laughs> on my, the mixer on my desk or what is this? Like, I'm like, I've been doing this for like more than 10 years and it, they're going to, yeah. they're going to either think I'm Batman or I'm a terrorist. One of the two, <laughs> because it's like, why does he have all these electronic things in there? What are all these flashing lights? What is all this stuff going on and off? I mean, like my brother kind of has an idea, but for the most part, I just, I just don't go out of my way to hold up a sign that says, Hey, I'm doing this. So uh, I, it, it, it's what led me to ask you that question, because like I said, you have such a close relationship with, with your family that I, I was curious just to see how, you know, quote unquote, the other side lives. Yes. But you know what? It, it is a, I think there are some things that really resonate across the board. Um, and I feel like a lot of, um, I mean, kids in general will, will get this, but I feel like a lot of children of immigrants definitely will understand this where, um, there's a certain level of validation amongst the group uh, amongst your parents and, and their friends. If it's something that they can brag about and mm-hmm. it's, you know, and it's wildly known, then it's like, Woo, you're the best, like greatest kid ever. Yep. So when I was featured in Forbes in April in Forbes women, um, that was something that they were like, Oh wow. Okay. This <laughs> Like they couldn't tell you how many episodes I had. They couldn't tell you who I've interviewed. They couldn't even tell you what the show was about, but I was featured in Forbes. So that's all that matters. Yep, That's, that's, <laughs> that's, that's the name of the game. It's like, it's like, Hey, you know, there's a million types of tissue, but everybody knows Kleenex. So right. <laughs> it, it's like, it's like Forbes is Forbes. Like that's it, you know? Right. So that's actually one of my, um, I'm very, uh, I'm very big on goal setting. So a few weeks ago at the, obviously at the beginning of the year, um, I sat down and I wrote down some of my goals and, and that's, um, one of them actually is to be featured on some podcasts. So you really helped tick that one off the list real quick. Well, you know, (laughs) it's, it's funny and, and, you know, a little inside baseball. When I interviewed Brianna from Gotham, I said to myself, 
you know, I really like what they're doing. I thought that it's a, it's a great idea. And I kind of just went down that rabbit hole. And then after the interview came out, you started following me. And I'm usually really weird with just like following other people that follow me. Number one, because <laughs> it's like, if it doesn't resonate, if there's not something that the person's doing, like, I just don't want to be one of those, like, I don't want to be looking through your window, so to speak. Like, no, I oh, agree hey. with you. Oh, hey, that's a great picture of your dog. Let me just like it. You know, like, <laughs> like, it's just, it just, it's not genuine. So I'm like, I'm like, I'm like, I'm like, oh, she's a New Yorker. She got a cool vibe. And then I started following the brand, you know, when you did your merch drop, which we'll talk about, I'm like, I'm like, yo, her hustle is legit. So <laughs> I, I'm, I'm like, she's not playing. And then just, just, you know, little anecdotes, little things. And I'm like, wow, there's a lot of, a lot of, you know, that, that New York vibe that brings all of us together. And I was like, you know what? I, I want to get in there and, and, you know, put her story out there. And then seeing a lot of the stuff that you were going through and the work that you were putting in, I said to myself, I'm like, she gets it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I, I really appreciate that. Thank you. That's, I mean, I, I agree with you as far as the following thing goes. Um, I will, <laughs> I, I like to be able to, I feel like Instagram is just like my mutual source of motivation sometimes. Right. So I like to follow people that are, you know, on the same page, especially when it comes to femme, I'll follow almost every single person that follows me back. If they talk about work in their Instagram. Right. So if I, if I feel like you're being transparent about like it, just like you said about your hustle, about the things that you're doing your day to day, et cetera, then I'll follow you. Cause I feel like I could get something out of that partnership. I'll learn something. It'll be a, a good source of motivation. Um, so I'm, I'm big on that as well. Now in, speaking, speaking of, of Gotham, how did you get to that point with them? How, how did that relationship come about? Well, let me just say, I'm obsessed with Gotham Podcast Studio, and I love Brianna. I think she's, she really is, again, the embodiment of my brand. Like, it just is someone who, you know, with her husband, they were like, oh, you know what? We got to do this. And then it blew up and like, <laughs> not even blew up, but they just were nonstop working for it to get to that point. Yep. Um, but I found the studio because I didn't really love the way that my own episodes were sounding. And I wanted to bring more of a real, um, podcasting environment to the show. Uh, and a lot of the reasoning behind it was more to get video incorporated. I wanted to give more of like a YouTube series esque type of vibe, um, to some of my shows. And I was looking up places and I couldn't believe the costs like the costs associated with recording out of some of these New York city studios. And it was just bananas. I'm like, what do you mean? It's $150 for an hour. Is that a joke? $150. <laughs> like I couldn't, I can't spend that. I couldn't even fathom spending that. Um, and then I came across Gotham through Google. I was just doing like a Google search and I saw the rate. I'm like, okay, 60s more manageable. I'm like, okay, the member rate. All right. And then when I went in, to interview with them, uh, not it's necessarily interview with them, but like to do like a walkthrough. Um, I believe I was sitting with, um, one of their producers, Raul at the time. Um, and I said to him, I was like, I have a female centered brand. So how difficult would it be to get a female 
in the producer seat while I'm recording, you know, and I don't, I don't do much for as far as like the editing with them. I do all that on my own, but as far as someone to like be there to moderate the show and make sure the audio levels are good, I wanted it to be a female and they actually did have a female engineer. So that kind of enticed me. And then he goes, but also like not only a female engineer, but our co-founder is a woman. And, and I was like, all right, where do I sign? Like, how do I become a member? What do you need? Uh, Because that's been my mission all along is to make sure that if I have someone designing my logo, it's a woman. If I have someone incorporated with photography, you know, if I have someone on a shoot with me, it's a woman. Um, So I'm, I'm trying to not just you know talk about it i'm trying to be about it right. and that was a huge selling point for me without a doubt nice and you've since obviously now with with covid are you still going in there or are you just focusing on doing the shows at home now so i do everything they have a really um good system to just set up the virtual recordings and i actually really like that because um i had one moment where i just forgot to hit record on an episode and you know God bless Selena Fletcher for being an absolute gem, but she actually re-recorded the whole thing with me a second time. Wow. But I know, and that was like episode 35. So I don't know how I forgot two years of not making a mistake like that. And then I make a mistake like that. And thankfully she was, she was really, really kind about it. But it, in that moment, I'm like, I'm not doing this by myself anymore. I need someone else to get some eyes on this. So, so yeah, so they do the virtual sessions with me. Um, I used to live in Queens before COVID hit. So it was much easier for me to just like jump on a quick subway ride and get into the city. But now I'm in the, I'm in the suburbs now. Um, but once, you know, once it's safer and once I'm, I'm vaccinated, I'll be on that train right in. Cause I, I miss Manhattan so much, but, um, but yeah, I mean, as far as interviewing her, obviously I knew who she was because I had seen her in the studio. Right. And I had known of her from the emails and things like that. So I just slid right on into the DMS yep. and I was like, Hey, c- come on my show. <laughs> now, now, now how's the, what's the home rig like now? So it's actually funny because I'm, I'm on the, um, I'm on the house hunt. So every home that I look at, I'm like, wow, I can't wait to turn this into my future studio. But right now it's pretty much intermixed with my nine to five mess. Um, but we've got my laptop set up. We've got my microphone. We're fortunately very lucky that we live in a really quiet neighborhood. So there's never really any outside noise that we hear. Um, so that's, I'm very lucky for that. Um, but I also have a standing desk. So sometimes it's easier for me to podcast standing up. Cause I feel like I'm really? more like moving. <laughs> huh? You, you know, it, it's weird. I've always, I've always kind of looked at them, but the, the standing desk, but I just have way too much stuff in here. And I'm like, eh, I don't know if that'll work. I, actually, I know I, I get nervous that there's too much weight on it sometimes. <laughs> yep. That, well, that's exactly it. I mean, I, I redid, but when, when I was still working my nine to five, when I, working from home, you know, I'm like, oh, I'm going to redo my home office. And I did a, like a, a, a giant U-shaped desk. Like th- I put three desks together oh, from wow. Ikea so I could have like studio on one. If I had a guest here, they could sit there. And now, now it's actually my daughter's seat. She sits there with her iPad. She's like my secretary in here now. Oh, so, I love that. Yeah, it's pretty <laughs> funny. So, so it's a, it's a kind of a unofficially become her desk, but um, <laughs> It's it's interesting because now that you're working from home, do you feel more creative when you're working from home or did you like 
the split focus of the nine to five and then just coming home and doubling down on your on your business? I think it's a little bit of both for me. I, I actually really appreciated having that commute into work because sometimes that's where most of my ideas came from. So I would write things down on my notepad in my phone, or I would, you know, physically write them down in my journal. Uh, but now it's a, it's a little bit of, um, it's a little bit of both for me. So I feel like when I was going into the office, I was able to compartmentalize a little bit better. So, you know, you're walking into the office. Now it's your nine to five time. Now you mentally check out of everything else and you focus on this. Um, and then the minute you leave, you could focus on femme radio. You could focus on femtrepreneur. But what I'm finding now is that everything sort of weaves into each other, um, which I'm trying to avoid <laughs> for awesome. a number of different reasons. Um, but on a, on a perfect day, I would wake, I'm a morning person. So on a perfect day, I'd wake up early and do work for my podcast before the work day. And then the minute the work day starts, I, you know, I check in and, and push everything else to the side, but I do feel like it's, it's been a little more difficult working remotely to separate the two things. Now, do you feel it's that way because you're, you're easier, it's easier for you to get distracted or just because the environment you're in? I think the environment that I'm in almost, it, it almost motivates me to work on my podcast a little bit more. Right. <laughs> because it because it's my office, right? And then I have like a I have a little um sign here that says Femtrepreneur Headquarters. So there's things that motivate me to want to work on on something that I consider a passion of mine that I'd love to turn into something, you know, bigger and better down the line. But I think it has a lot to do with just the environment that I'm in. Now, um before we move into the next thing, I wanted to talk about your your merch drop because yes. that was some some legit guerrilla marketing on, <laughs> on your part. And I was, I, I, you know, I said to myself, this is, I, that was like the tipping point on wanting to, to do an episode more so because I'm like, like, oh, she's really just wearing it, putting it out there, you know, sending stuff out, making cool packaging. Like you, you, you put all the bells and whistles into it. So I want to kind of talk about your, your initial, um, wave of, of merch and also, you know, what brought that about and what, what was your thought process and just picking the pieces, picking the colors, um, you know, just the, just the overall campaign. Yes. So I have to say the merch is by far one of the coolest things I've done in, in a very, very, very long time. Um, I love the aspect of having a physical product in my hand and then packaging it and putting like, it sounds corny, but putting my heart and soul into it and, and then someone purchasing it. I mean, the fact that people were willing to spend money on something that I made was completely beyond me. Um, the first wave of merch that I did, which was about June this year, this past year. So in the summer, um, it was, initially something that I really wanted to do, obviously, because it, it's always been my dream to like my, my, my dream in my life is to be like walking through an airport and seeing someone wearing something that says femme radio or, you know, that this girl can merge. That would be my dream. Um, to just see someone completely random, you know, having something that's mine. Uh, so that was always something I wanted to do, but I didn't really know how to go about it. And it is sort of, it's a lot of overhead that you have to pay for to do 
a launch like that. So I was Googling what the costs would be. I was Googling, you know, direct to consumer. I was Googling manufacturers, things like that. And it just all felt very overwhelming. Um, and then I came across a site called Teespring. So if the listeners, if you guys are at all looking to do something merch related and you are nervous that, you know, you don't know if anyone will actually buy anything. Um, I thought Teespring was a really great way to approach it at first because they have their in-house stock merch. So it's like hoodies, t-shirts, long sleeves, and they do like beach towels, tote bags, things like that. So it is a really, um, sort of, uh, I would say diverse amount of products that you could choose from. And then if you work with either a designer on your end, or maybe you're good at designing and you put a logo together, um, they allow you to upload your logo into the system, design your clothing, and then actually publish it to a storefront of your own. Um, and you can set the pricing. And then all that happens is once you launch your site live, once you launch your storefront live, um, people can come and purchase those items and you don't even see it. Right. So it goes right to that person's doorstep and then you get your money and then Teespring gets their money. And it's all very, um, upfront. So at the beginning of the show, at the beginning of the publishing, you'll know, okay, Teespring is getting $17. I'm getting $21 based on how you price your item. Right. So I thought that, I thought that was really easy to just like get it off the ground, see if there's any interest. Will people even buy this shit? Like who knows? Um, but I did work with a good friend of mine, Christy Freer. She does creations with Chris on Instagram, little, little, uh, short plug there. Um, but I worked with her and she put together some really great concepts and just some cool usage of like things that I was thinking about for my logo. And then things that she was also thinking about for a female centered brand. So I used some of them as like the initial concepts and I launched them and they actually sold, you know, people were buying things. Um, so I ended up saving that money and saying, okay, this next round, I'm going to do something more hands-on. I want to see the clothing after it's printed. I want to be able to fold it, put it in with like stickers and, you know, make it more of a fun experience for the end user when they're getting the product, you know, make it more personal. Um, so then I worked with, um, well, it's actually kind of a funny story because my friend um, from college, a listener, Doan, she runs Dyed New York, the Instagram page. And she actually reached out to me and, and said, I'm looking to do a collab. And I think like you and I should collab on a launch. And at that time, I was already thinking about phase two. So it actually worked out perfectly. Um, and she was able to put me in touch with a screen printer that she that her friend of hers uses so we were working with Sparkles Corp in like right upstate, maybe like 30 minutes up north from where I am right now. So I can't really say it's upstate. It's like upper Westchester County. Uh, but I was working with um, with them to screen print the logos. And then she got the merchandise and dyed the clothes, like bleach dyed it and then did like the pink tie dye. And I like it was in that moment that I realized this was the best decision because and I'm probably skipping a few steps. So keep me honest here. But it was in that moment that I was like, this is the best decision that I could have made. Because when I was holding those hoodies and the crew necks in my hand, I'm like, this is the coolest feeling ever. Like this is my merch. And then when I, I launched it, I decided to do it through Etsy and I couldn't believe it. My phone was buzzing. I mean, we only had maybe like 35, um, 35 hoodies and crew necks. So it wasn't a lot of stock to get through to sell out, but you know, you got to start small. I don't, I don't recommend 
people buying like 200 items up front and then just sitting with inventory for a month and a half. No, no. Um, but it was, yeah, when my phone started buzzing, it was like, this is sold and that is sold. You don't have any more extra larges. You don't have any more larges. I was freaking out. <laughs> like my, I wish I had videos of me dancing around my living room. <laughs> no, I remember when you were like, I only have one medium left. And, um, <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, oh man, she must be super hype right now. So, so, you know, <laughs> see, I, like I said, peer, peering through the window, watching the story. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. That's a, that's a tremendous feeling. And I, and I wanted, and I actually wanted to touch and touch on that because like I said, I'm sure other people have been contemplating that and what goes into it. And you know, you, you being so transparent is, is very refreshing. I appreciate that. It surprisingly was, um, you know, I I do think that I, I do think I made the right decision with doing Teespring first and then saving that money and applying it towards the phase two of my merch launch, which was more of an upgraded, right? Like an upgraded launch. And I'm planning phase three for around March or April. Um, and for that one, it'll be, I'm, I'm always looking to upgrade from launch to launch to launch. So I think for phase three, I'm going to do maybe some upgraded materials of the clothing and then also including, um, like, not necessarily accessories, but I'm big on journaling. So I want to include a journal, you know, something where people can actually start to make more of an, um, an effort to document how they're feeling and things like that. Cause it's very important to me and I feel like it helps keep me centered. Um, so I want to include journals and things like that, just cute stuff that you could spruce up your desk with. And, and it keeps you, you know, motivated, stuff like that. Things that like excite me, um, I'm trying to incorporate into future launches. Nice. All right. So we're going to, we're going to go into uh, the next segment of the show, which is the hot seat, you know, oh God. rapid fire <laughs> questions. Um, you you kind of know what the deal is. Of course, their oh, yeah. questions are always tailored to each guest. Um, so we're going to get things started with a, with a nice, easy one. Tell me, tell me about uh, when you first got Sophie. Oh my God, Sophie. Oh, I just love her so much. <laughs> no. Okay. So she was a really, really bad, bad puppy. Like probably the worst. I should have sent her away for training and I just was convinced that she would end up behaving and she did it until she was about like two and a half, three years old. Um, but yeah, I mean, she's a gem. She's the cutest thing in the world. And now all she does is just cuddle and snuggle with everybody. And I wouldn't trade her for the world. She's so cute. Nice. Now, what, 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 how'd you, how'd you decide to get a dog? How'd that come about? So I had had a Cavalier poodle mix. So I had a Cavapoo and my, <laughs> I was traveling a lot for work at the time. So my parents were watching him. And then one day when I went home to get him, my dad was like, oh, that's funny. You, you think this is your dog? I'm like, well, yeah, like I, you know, I paid for him. Like he's been my dog. And, uh, my parents were like, no, he should stay with us. Like we have a backyard. You live in a small apartment. And they guilted the hell out of me. Um, and they made me feel like he would live a much better life with them. (laughs) And I mean, I can't lie knowing it's been six years since that happened. And it's true. He he's living a much better life with them than he would have lived with me. But yeah. So, so that happened. So I had to, you know, I gave, I gave them my dog begrudgingly. Um, and two years later, I thought to myself, you know, I, dogs are necessary to me. It's like mental health. They help with emotional stress and all things like that. Um, 
and I sort of pulled the trigger on her and just, and just got her. Um, and although she was a menace for two years, she's like, I wouldn't have made it through this year without her. She's like, she's truly the best dogs are, we don't deserve animals. (laughs) Well, the reason I also wanted you to share that story is because look at it this way. Your, your, your parents paid you for the dog by giving you the equipment to start the show. (laughs) Exactly. That's so true. (laughs) There you go. Oh my God. If they listen to this, they'll be like, yeah, he's right. (laughs) (laughs) There you go. Um, what are three mobile apps you can't live without? Okay. Um, so I would say, okay, I'm thinking from like the morning when I wake up, um, I am probably clicking onto my Google calendar all the time. So I I keep everything in my calendar. Like my entire day is planned from the minute I wake up. Um, so the calendar I couldn't, I can't live without. Um, oh my God. For business purposes, I would say Canva. Canva is a big thing. Um, and I would say obviously all, all joking aside, Instagram, it's how I keep my business floating. So I would say it's probably one of my top apps, although a close fourth would be TikTok because I'm just, I'm finding a lot of, um, comedy on TikTok yeah. lately. It's a really good app. I can't lie. <laughs> yeah. You know, it, there was a, there's a, a lady on there that does like skits. I must send you one of her skits because I said, I said Melissa would Melissa would probably want this lady on her podcast. Um, please do. I I <laughs> love all the creators. Her 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 vibe is her like the way she comes off is because it's usually like people who try and like say stuff to her, and you know the internet as much as it's a great place and an informative place, it's a toxic cesspool sometimes. And oh um, you know she she responds to some of these people's comments about like politics and different things and it, i'm just like this lady's not even playing like oh, like, like please she, do yeah she comes please out send. swinging and i said yeah she might she might like this lady <laughs> but um I'll, I'll send that to you later um favorite piece of tech besides your phone or computer oh gosh um favorite piece of tech besides phone or computer oh my god this is supposed to be rapid fire melissa get it together um i would say uh, do like, oh God, is this isn't really tech, but like, do kitchen utensils count? Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, tech is tech. Like my KitchenAid mixer, I'm just obsessed with it. <laughs> really? Do you bake? Like, it's my. It's literally when I got it, I think I shed a tear. Um, yeah. So I bake, but I also it's like perfect for just like mixing things, and I have like the uh, attachments for like the food processor and like the pastas i've invested heavily into my kitchen aid mixer <laughs> yeah i know i see i see you share your little meals like look what i made i'm like oh, I, there she goes. you know i i my i always grew up with people that cook i always considered my mom like a five-star chef she used to cook every night and so i i've always liked to cook but this year i definitely figured out how to cook so it's mm. it's a it's been a good year <laughs> Well, you know, it's interesting also because of everything that's been going on. It's like people have taken the opportunity to, you know, to augment their skill set. So, you know, you saying that it's 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 100 percent true. Right. No, I, I agree with that. Do you listen to music when you work? I listen to a lot of podcasts. Um, I do like listening to music. Um, right now, I'm kind of on a Jasmine Sullivan kick. Um, but as far as podcasts go, I'm sort of in that category of people that really dip deep, in, d- deep dive, I should say, into crime. Big, really? big crime podcast junkie. I can't lie. Um, 
I, I wish I wasn't so invested, but yeah, my boyfriend will walk into the room sometimes and be like, why, why do you listen to this? <laughs> which one, which one are you listening? Which ones are you listening to now? So right now I'm going through Dateline, but I used to do, which Dateline is like, the, it's a TV show and they yeah. pretty much just transferred it into a podcast. So it's nothing too incredible, but, um, I used to listen to once upon a crime a lot. Um, was big on that. Uh, and sometimes I will, um, cause I have like a, a good dual monitor set up. So I'll watch like a documentary or something while I work, which is, it sounds like it distracts you, but it's, I, I, I more just listen. So mm-hmm. it's not really a, not really a distraction for me, but some people are kind of confused with how I could successfully do that. You know, it, it's, it's funny cause you, you share also a lot of, uh, reality TV, uh, stuff. And oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> I, I I laugh because, you know, you're like, oh, this reality show and then crime shows. And my wife and I, we went to see my my father in law in Florida and we're in this house and he just has the TV on. And it's like, you know, Mary Sullivan may have killed her husband. They have <laughs> chopped him up. We're going to find out why. And And it was just an entire day from like noon to like eight o'clock of, you know. Maria Sanchez is on the run, possibly for <laughs> killing her parents. What made her do it? And I'm just like, and just like hearing, like seeing a lot of your updates with that stuff. That's all I think about, like those type of things. And I'm like, yo, the fact that he played that stuff all day and you, you saying how it's a, you know, you're obsessed with it. I can understand that because if you listen to it long <laughs> enough, like when we came back, like either that would be playing or like blue bloods, the TV show. And now yeah. my wife watches blue bloods and I'm just like, what is happening? <laughs> That's so funny. I, you know what? I don't understand um, what it is about it. That intrigues me so much, but I think it's, um, I think it's always the, I don't love to listen to the unsolved murders or the unsolved cases. I like when it has a beginning and an end because I like the process of how the detectives figure out who did it and you know, all that, all of that coming together. But the unsolved ones, I can't lie, do kind of creep me out sometimes, especially the more recent ones, because I'm just like, they're still out there. (laughs) They're still, they're still creeping around. Um, what or who has made the biggest impression on your life in the last year? Whew. Oh, man. Come on. You know I'm not playing. <laughs> Damn. You you really thought about these. Crap. Okay. What or who has made the biggest impression? You know what? I will. I'm going to say, and, you know, I, I hope people don't judge me for my, for my corny answer, but I'm going to say my boyfriend, um, which is obviously not female, of course, but, but I think just with, with everything that's been going on this year, specifically all things surrounding race, I've just learned so much. And he's really taken the time to truly educate me on a lot of things that, you know, we had spoken about before, but it maybe didn't click as much as it did in this moment. And it's empowered me to be able to have those conversations with other people and to talk about it publicly, which is something I never really did before. Um, and I, I appreciate that. And I think it's, you know, we, we just have so much work to do in that area and it does break my heart because it's, you know, he's someone that I love and adore and, and it, you know, it hurts me to see people that I love hurting. Um, and it really made a huge, huge impact on my life this year. And honestly, for the rest of my life. So 
regardless of, of where things go. I tell them all the time, you know, we're, we're not married yet, but I will keep everything that I learned this year and, and take with me into the future because it's, it's really been life changing for sure. There you go. I think that's a, that's a hell of an answer. And now of course, the, uh, one of the fun ones, what's the last Yay. thing, what's the last thing you purchased that's less than a hundred dollars that's made your life easier or more enjoyable? Oh my goodness. Okay. Let me, let me see where is I'm trying to like look for it. Okay. So I, I invested, I'm kind of a crafty girl over here on my side. Um, so I bought a resin kit oh, and okay. I've, I've been dabbling cause I saw someone do it on TikTok. And it's not that I didn't think it looked hard. It looked hard. It looked very hard, <laughs> but it looked fun. So I got a resin kit and I made, um, I actually haven't given them, I haven't given it to them yet, but I made a, um, like a tray, like almost like a cheese board out of the engagement notice, the wedding invitation and a thank you note that we got for my brother and my sister-in-law's wedding. So I put like their pictures into it and I made it into like a cheese board. So I'm going to give it to them in like a week or so. But, um, I was really excited because I I've been saving, I save everything from everyone's engagements and bridal showers and everything, but I've never known what to do with it. Mm. So now I'm like, oh, I can make it just like a little cheese tray out of this. It's so cute, but I'm still learning. I'm definitely not that great at it, but it was like $40 and here I am just making coasters every day. You know, it's funny because, you know, just talking about TikTok and everything else, I said to myself, let's see if she says that she bought a cricket printer. <laughs> Honestly, I, I almost did. I almost did. I knew it. <laughs> I almost did, but you know, my sister-in-law has one and then my best friend Ashley has one. So I was like, you know what? Let's wait a while. See if I can just get them to do things for me first before I have to make an investment, but it's on my list. It's definitely on my list. There you go. What was your favorite toy growing up? Oh my gosh. I had, um, my favorite toy. I had a, like a, Damn, is it my princess dollhouse or my little dog? I had this little dog I used to sleep with every single night to the point where, and I'm sure you probably know this because you have kids, but I used to like, <laughs> I used to like squeeze its neck and hold it really tight right. when I would sleep. So then the neck just started to go limp. <laughs> so so yep. it had like no structure in its body. <laughs> and at one point my mom just kind of threw it out because she thought it was just like useless. But, oh, I cried and cried and cried. That was my favorite, favorite toy. <laughs> Jeez. Yeah, definitely. Definitely have that. Like like my daughter, she's she's two. So she's now into like getting into the plush stuff. But yeah, um, yeah she 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 didn't care any anything about that initially. Like my wife bought like little like lovey things which is like a plush thing attached to a towel Mm -hmm. she gave no kind of a damn about (laughs) any plush stuff like 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 she's like why doesn't she like bears i'm like i don't know and then you know she comes into my office and i have like toys and stuff everywhere and she's like oh this voltron is really nice and i'm like where are you going so now she comes oh i love that yep she comes into my office every day and plays with voltron for 10 minutes and then like i have a box of like old retro toys that i'm getting rid of so she kept going in the box and I'm like, get out of the box. And I finally <laughs> found like, I forgot when I was younger, I had bought like Buzz Lightyear from Toy Story. And, uh-huh. you know, now, now it's her Buzz Lightyear. So now he goes with her in the car and stuff. So that's, I love that. yeah, it's, 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 it's pretty funny. And my, when my wife and I were dating, I had gave her a lion 
which she ended up giving to my daughter. And it was funny because my daughter was sleeping with him. And exactly like you said, just the squeezing of the neck until there's no stability left. <laughs> that is that is 100% truth. I can't even explain it. It was, But it's funny because when I think about it, that stuffed animal looks a lot like the dog that I currently have. That explains so, a lot. I wonder if there was a connection there from me liking curly haired tan dogs. <laughs> it, it is possible. So the the last one, if I call you up a year from today and I go, Melissa, what are you up to? Where's the business at? What would you respond? Um, that's a great question. I think my goal this year is to grow. So a year from now, I will hope that I, you know, have grown exponentially. I want to do double numbers on my social accounts. I want to be featured in some more publications. I want to be featured on additional podcasts. So it's really a priority of mine to just grow because the more that I could grow the show, the more that the stories of the women I'm sharing are growing and and being shared as well. Um, and, I just, I feel like there's so much value in the people that I interview and I, you know, don't mean to digress, but sometimes it's, it's infuriating to see, you know, people who are just like celebrities start a podcast and then all of a sudden they have all of this growth and all mm -hmm. these partnerships and it's, you know, and, and the show's trash, you know, like the show's not good. Um, and I'm not saying my show's fantastic and incredible and, and made for everybody, but I do feel like the women that I interview are fantastic and are great and, and their stories are unique and impressive. Um, and I just wish that there'd be more emphasis put on a lot of those networks to showcase podcasts like mine. Um, and not necessarily just like, you know, the bachelorettes starting 14 <laughs> different podcasts, but yeah. you know, no hate. I don't, I don't have any hate towards any of that, but it, I just wish that there'd be a little bit more focus on stories about career growth rather than like who's kissing who and, Yep. And who's doing what, you know? Well, you know what? You know what the problem is that with, with regards to that, think about this. You wake up, you watch crime shows, you watch reality shows, you watch them because it forces you to think, even though, you know, reality TV to some is, you know, mindless, but it still forces you to think because you're, you're piecing together these people's struggles. You're wondering what it's like for them, et cetera, et cetera, just based on the depictions that you're getting on television. But the thing about it is, with those shows, once the cameras go off, it's like the window dressing comes off. Right. And for, for a lot of the reality shows, that's why it's funny. You mentioned like the bachelorette and stuff like that, because those shows, they come in, they get their 15 minutes of fame. Nobody comes five years later and wonders where they're at. Maybe they do, but nine times out of 10, they don't. <laughs> right. So no, it's, it's true. So, so, the, uh, you know, I always look at podcasting in the same way that, People are going to dip their toes in the pool and everybody's going to jump into the space and eventually, you know, it's survival of the fittest. They'll just not care about it. They'll stop doing it. I've seen more abandoned shows than in the last in the last two years than I've seen in quite some time. Number one, because people are home. Number two, they think, oh, I'll just turn on the mic and go. And it's like, yeah, it's great, but it's not that simple. Right. No, that's, that's so true. That's so true. I have conversations like that all the time because it, it is hard. Podcasting is not easy. And especially if you're 
you know, a one person show and you do your recordings, your scheduling, your editing, your producing, your publishing, and you know, you do all that on your own. Yep. And then you see people just like jump into a network where all they do is sit in a chair, speak, and then they get to leave and not worry about it. Yep. And it gets edited and published all for them. And, you know, like that's the one thing that, that I've always tried to, or I'm, I'm trying to continue to do is put a focus on shows where they're, you know, you're doing everything because I feel like that also is when networks are looking to hire, like I've done it all. Like I do it all for myself. Yep. So, you know, so you don't need to hire five people to manage my show. I manage my own show. That's what um, I'm actually doing now while looking for a job. Cause I, I said to my wife, I'm like, listen, I'm not going to go and sit behind a desk cause I worked in corporate. So, um, absolutely. Nine, you know, almost 20 years in and I'm like, I'm not doing this shit again. <laughs> like, no. like, like, you know, I want a podcast. I want to do content create. Like I want to do something in that wheelhouse. So I am 100% there with you. On the same page, always. <laughs> yeah, and the, the last one, reach one, teach one. We always want to give our listeners uh, something valuable to close things out. But in your case, I'm going to do something a little different. So, you know, I'm going to give you a scenario, and that's how you're going to uh, share your, your gem. So you get a call, and you're going to speak in front of a class of middle school girls. And your job is to tell them how to start their own business. What advice would you give them? Oh, wow. Oh, I love that. I would love, I love that mainly because I've always, I actually do want to go back to schools and maybe do some public speaking. Um, so that's cute. But, <laughs> but I think the first piece of advice I would give them is I would encourage them to think about things that they love, you know, think about something that they love, something that they keep going back to and start there. Don't try to do something just because someone else is doing it or, you know, don't discourage yourself from doing something because you're afraid of what people will think. Um, I always go back to this one story. Um, I, I don't know if you're familiar, but this uh, woman, Carly Bible, who's like a, a makeup YouTube personality. She, um, she's high, very popular on YouTube, but one of the videos I listened to about her is um, she said that in high school, she started her YouTube channel and that people made fun of her you know, she would go into school and people would be like, Oh my God, that's the girl who does her makeup on YouTube. And they would say really discouraging things, but she kept forward, you know, she kept pushing forward. Um, and now she's worth like $7 million. So, so I would encourage you to not listen to the naysayers because I did, you know, people told me, Oh, that's silly. Oh, who will care? You know, women aren't really that disrespected in the workplace. Like no one will listen to that. That's stupid. So I didn't, you know, I didn't do it. I paused, I held off and, and who knows where we would be right now if I had started when I wanted to. So I would encourage them to think about things that they love and that they're passionate about and not worry about what people want to say to them and the words of, you know, <laughs> negative thoughts. Here's my dog barking in the background, there you go. <laughs> but not worry about what people think, not worry about the negative, the negative thoughts, and the negative vibes, you know, don't let people portray their feelings of self-conscious thoughts on you. Don't, don't let that happen. And that would be just my, my vibe there, but nice. Yeah. All right. Um, with that, I think that's a great way to close things out. Uh, Alyssa, thank you for taking the opportunity to share the toys and tech of your trade. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it.
what an awesome conversation with Melissa. I had such a blast and I'm really, really glad that I got to share her story and the Femtrepreneur brand with you folks. To find out more about Femtrepreneur, Fem Radio, and everything that Melissa's working on, you can go to getfemd.com. G-E-T-F-E-M-M-E-D.com. And you can find out more, like I said, about the Femtrepreneur brand, Fem Radio, which you can find on iTunes, Spotify, wherever uh, you consume podcasts. You can find her podcast there. And of course, you can pick up some Femtrepreneur merch as well via her site. And we'll include links to that and the, and the store in the show notes for this episode. Also, some of the stuff we discussed, we will link to and whether it's books, toy recommendations, whatever it is that we discussed will be in the show notes for this episode. Full disclosure, as always, some of those items may contain affiliate links, which if you click to purchase an item, it will not change the cost, but we'll receive a small commission, which of course goes towards improving our shows, our website, all of the stuff that we use to give you folks the content you enjoy. As always, if you want to keep up with RageWorks and all the work that we do, you can find us on the social media platform of your choice, including uh, such such gems as Pinterest. Yeah, we have a couple of Pinterest boards, uh, which are doing quite well, I might add. Uh, so definitely look for RageWorks there. And of course, uh, YouTube, etc. If you're consuming the podcast via YouTube and you haven't subscribed, throw us a sub. We'd really, really appreciate it. Lastly, I believe a couple of episodes back, I mentioned uh, a studio space that we're working on, hopefully to open in the late spring, early summer of this year uh, for folks to come in, record podcasts, uh, record vlogs, maybe get some streaming in, do product photography, etc. cetera. Uh, with everything going on with COVID and people wanting to pursue a lot of these passion projects, they are sometimes hindered because they don't have the space or they don't have the equipment. And my goal and the goal of those that I'm working with to get this up and running is to give people a place where they can come and create this content without the shackles of not having the right camera or not having the right mixer or not having the, the, the best microphone. We provide the gear, you provide the content, and most importantly, it's going to be affordable and we hope to have it up and running uh, late spring, early summer, putting it into the ether right now. But we are working on getting funding, finding a space, etc. But if you want to stay up to date with that project and you're in the New York City area and that's something you want to mess with, by all means, make sure to sign up for our email list, which I'll link to in the show notes for this episode. And if you want to stay up to date and don't want to rely on social, you can sign up for an email list for the RageWorks network or for the RageWorks site where we'll share, you know, new movie trailers, product reviews, etc. And of course, as I said, for the network, you'll get up to date with stuff regarding shows, new shows that are going to be debuting and other network related information that I just don't want to toss on social and I think would be better suited for emails. As always, Thank you, folks, for your continued support. I truly, truly appreciate it. And as always, if you want to stay up to date, find RageWorks on social. And we'll see you guys in two weeks. Peace.
Toys and Tech of the Trade is part of the Rageworks Podcast Network, your source for rants about gaming, entertainment, and the works. Visit us at RageworksNetwork.com.